Welcome to the Maria Liberati Show, where food meets art, travel, and life. So what does food mean to you? Well, join me this week as my guest is Becky Diamond, the author of a fascinating book called The Gilded Age Cookbook, and a little bit of some trivia here. Does anyone know where the first cooking school in the U.S. was located? If you have any idea at all? Well, I guess I'll give you the answer because um, Becky's also going to tell us something about that since it's part of the time period that the Gilded Age occurred in. So actually there were two cooking schools that were the first two in the country in the USA and the first one was in Philadelphia and it was called Mrs. Goodwill's and it was actually located on Dock Street and this This was in the early 1800s until 1850. And the second, actually the second cooking school that came about in the in the USA was in Boston and um, it was started by Fanny Farmer. Those were the very first two cooking schools in the USA. The one started in Boston, was probably started around the 1870s. But hey, now I know why those are actually my two favorite foodie towns, Boston and Philadelphia. They have a a foundation of being foodie towns from way back. So join me with my special guest, Becky Diamond, the author of the Gilded Age Cookbook. And by the way, she's also going to um, talk about some recipes in the book also, because the book has recipes that have been somewhat tweaked so they could be um, recipes that are easy enough to cook today. Stay with me. Oh, and one more thing. Um, my event that was scheduled for Saturday, December 2nd, was canceled due to an unforeseen emergency, but it's being rescheduled for Saturday, December 16th at 11 a.m. And again, that's at the Upper Southampton Library in Upper Southampton, Pennsylvania. Um, It's a cooking class and book signing to be held on Saturday, December 16th at 11 a.m. So see you then. And today my special guest is Becky Diamond, and she is an author and a librarian. And should I say historian also, Becky? Sure, yes, absolutely. She's author of a really interesting book called The Gilded Age Cookbook. And uh, she's going to talk to us about that today. So Becky, tell it. First of all, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So how did you um, get the idea to do this book? And maybe you can tell us a little quick synopsis about it. Sure. So this is actually my third book. Now, my first two books are not cookbooks per se, but they are about food history. And um, so I've been writing about culinary, you know, history for about the, the past 15 years. And my first book is Mrs. Goodfellow, The Story of America's First Cooking School. And Mrs. Goodfellow was actually in early 800s, 1800s Philadelphia. So she, her, she had a pastry shop and a cooking school for kind of young debutante 
women, a lot of Quaker influence there. And um, she was right near the city tavern, like that whole location. And writing about her and really doing all that research about Philadelphia history, I found out about this 1851 dinner called the Thousand Dollar Dinner. And this was kind of a precursor to the Gilded Age, obviously, Mm because the Gilded Age doesn't really kick off till about 1870. But this was fine dining at its greatest. It was a 17 course feast, took 12 hours, and it was a New York versus Philadelphia kind of competition, honestly, like a top Mm -hmm. chef competition. And Philadelphia won, yay. (laughs) Um, My goodness. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, doing those two books and doing all that research on the foods and, you know, Philadelphia and New York and all of this history along the East coast of the U S I, I had culminated a series of recipes that I had taken them and then recreated them, you know, for modern ingredients and measurements, because you can't just look at a a historic recipe and make it the way that it sounds. And frankly, they're all written out like in paragraph form and you have to really go through and, and figure that out. So anyway, I had blogged about them and um, I thought, why not put them together into a cookbook? And that's how they go that age. I, I became really interested in this 19th century, you know, Gilded Age, Victorian era. They, they overlap there and it's kind of my specialty now. And um and then there's this, you know, the Gilded Age television television show on HBO, and that really helps kind of facilitate the interest in this time frame too. Period. I wasn't, I I didn't know about that series, but you know, that's really interesting because Philly is really a foodie town, and I guess we have a history of that, and that's kind of why we have a foundation of that, which is really, really interesting. I wasn't aware of that cooking school and all that history that you're talking about. So that's really interesting. So you said there was like almost like a top chef competition between New York and Philly way back in the 1850s? Yeah, there actually were. um, So these were always gentlemen of means, right? Like, you know, the, the the merchant uh you know like like a Stephen Gerard or you know huh? somebody you know all all the money that was going back and forth between Philadelphia and New York and they really just wanted to show off who had the most who could put on the best dinner so the gentleman from New York there were several of these kind of contests in Delmonico's especially in New York um so that's where the first part of this competition took place uh-huh. and then the the Philadelphia men said well we can do even better so come down to the the restaurant was called Parkinson's and James Parkinson was the chef and his restaurant at the time was on um Chestnut Street right around 8th and Chestnut there uh-huh. and um they called it the thousand dollar dinner because it took, it was like cost a thousand dollars to put together this feast. And uh-huh. the men got there at 6 PM and didn't leave till 6 AM the next morning. So it oh just was goodness. feasting, you know, like I said, 17 courses all paired with wines, uh-huh. fine wines at the time. And that was really fascinating to learn about all those wines um so really this all of that research helped me write about the gilded age too because this is what you know really kicked off into this whole gilded age era so what types 
what types of recipes were kind of their favorite types of foods in that period? Or yeah, well, well, yes. Yeah, I mean, oysters for sure. So every every meal kicked off with oysters, uh-huh. usually raw oysters, you know, on the half shell. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would also do oyster fritters and oyster stew and, and such. But if it was a fine dining you know, establishment or meal, it would have been raw oysters. Mm-hmm. And then they love to have a soup next. And turtle was the other thing that was really popular. Yeah, green turtle soup. And when I say that, I mean like the really large sea turtle. So they would, like ships would go down to the Caribbean uh-huh. and get these huge sea turtles, bring them back to the Philadelphia uh-huh. markets in New York too. Mm-hmm. And they would cook a huge seat. I mean, some of them were like 300 pounds. So that made a lot of soup, you know. And so it was often served up in restaurants. Um, They would use every part of the turtle, though. There were different dishes. They would do turtle steaks and, um, you know, other parts of the turtle. So that was really popular. Um, When the green sea turtle became over consumed, then they moved into terrapin. So that was like a smaller turtle that was really popular Um, game dishes, you know, like small game birds were really popular, like, like pigeon and snipe and um, you know, all those, all those smaller birds. Mm -hmm. And just um, the other thing that they really liked were cold dishes. And when I say that, I mean like an aspect that that's what we would think of today that, uh-huh. Is it really popular? Like, but and not even Jello like we think today. Like, it would be a clear gelatin mold. Uh-huh. So, so cold cooked foods set in a cold like a gelatin mold, and so they uh-huh. would look very ornate, and they would make designs out of these dishes. And just, I mean, think about as over the top as you as you can imagine for these uh-huh. dishes. So they were all, the, crazy. you're talking about dishes now for people that were of well means, people that were wealthy, all these types of, yes, these types of dishes. Any specific types of desserts that they went for? Yeah, I mean, desserts were really popular too, obviously. Um, and it's really interesting, the Gilded Age, actually there were several inventions and I have a whole chapter on it kitchen innovations because uh-huh. that's the thing with the Gilded Age. It was a time of innovation and technology. I mean, really, I always say the Gilded Age was built by the railroads because it was because of the explosion of the railroads that number one, we had these railroad industry barons, you know, mm-hmm. plus foods could be could travel now further distances and you could get foods that might be out of season or you know, that weren't necessarily available near where you lived. So people say in St. Louis could now get foods that might be a typically East Coast food. So that was a big part of it. And the egg beater and huh? baking powder and baking soda were two inventions that changed the game for desserts because before the invention of baking powder, mm-hmm. you had to use yeast or eggs to make baked good dries and you would have to really whip the eggs into a foam to make the cake rise so typically a servant would be given that job you know it could take almost like an hour 
to mm-hmm. whip the eggs the way they needed to. Like we, now we have our stand mixers that just, you know, do such a good job. But exactly. so between that and, and the, the rotary egg beater mm-hmm. really helped, you know, facilitate these tall layer caves that came in that were all the rage during the Gilded Age, like sponge cake. Mm-hmm. And um, there's another cake I have called Dolly Varden cake, which was really popular. Um, so a lot of cakes and also like sugar sculptures that's that would be like a pastry chef would have to put that together but like sculptures made out of a sh- like sugar and cake and you know other like sponge sugar like just these ornate sculptures frankly it was crazy um so that was popular and you wouldn't necessarily eat them but they would be on the table uh-huh. um so yeah and then puddings and pot you know the the typical the ones that we think of they they also liked ices and ice cream now and that meant if you if you had ice cream uh-huh. that you were somebody of of means that you had access to ice and refrigeration because that's the other thing that really came into play in this um, 19th century period is refrigeration first the ice box mm-hmm. and then after electricity they actually had refrigeration. So, um, yeah. So that's interesting. The more it's, money you had, the better. Yeah. The better. Yes. And it's so interesting. A lot of the things we take for granted, like ice cream and all these other things, you just think that they're, you know, you don't realize that they were really, um, from the people that had to have means to have that way back. And, uh, that's really interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> so I guess, yep, the the railroad and all that really was a big influence came into play into everything that was then available, yeah. became available to everybody. That's really interesting. So are you, yeah. Doing, yeah, are you doing any history on, well, with all this history now that you have? And it's so interesting because, as I said, now I understand the foundation of Philly being and New York being such foodie towns, which I think that comes from all that foundation, all that history then that we have with food. And I'm sure you found. Yeah, absolutely. And people don't realize a lot of times that Philadelphia was actually the food capital of the U.S., before New York. I mean, it's, it's, it's older. And Uh um, it it was a port city. Uh And Philadelphia's market. So Market Street is named that for a reason. Well, it used to be High Street. That's what William Penn wanted to you know, named it. Uh But then it became Market Street. And it's still this wide street, right? Right. Yeah. Because they used to block it off Uh from the Delaware uh-huh. Down to, I'd say at least where eighth, ninth, tenth street is now. Mm-hmm. That was all blocked off two days a week, and vendors were lined. They even had these market sheds. And luckily, <clears throat> where Philadelphia is located, like to the west, was Lancaster and all the Pennsylvania Dutch or German, um, right. you know, farms with the dairy products. They would bring those in to mm-hmm. the markets and being a port city, they could get imported goods. And then New Jersey had a lot of garden, you know, other, you know, produce areas. So people would come 
from all over the country at the time to see these markets. They were beautiful. Like they were very pristine and clean. Like when I did all the research, they mm -hmm. were over and above any of the other city markets in the U.S. at the time. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it really helped Philadelphia become this food yeah. capital. And then, and then New York did eclipse it. I think mainly because New York, just so many immigrants came into New York you yes. know, after yes. the potato famine and um, then with the Gilded Age and those all these mansions there and, and Philadelphia and New York just kept growing, uh, you know, up, up, up town, you know, it just kept extending itself uptown. And yeah. so it just but I still think Philadelphia has a, so much. It's it's a great food town. It, so. it, it is. It is. And I always say because I travel a lot for for what I do for book signings and things like that. But I always just notice that wherever I'm at in the country, I always miss, I mean, I miss Philly for many reasons, but I miss the food and everything that you get here that it is not that easy in other parts of the country even <laughs> to get that kind of food. So um, yeah, it still is a really great food town, definitely. And I guess it is because we have that foundation of being that way in history. Well, that's really interesting. Um, any just, we're almost out of time, but any, like, what did they do for say Christmas holiday? Any special, any special or anything? I'm sure that during the Gilded Age, they had a lot. Yeah, they, you know, and I have a whole section of holidays in the cookbook from, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then into Twelfth Night, because that was also a big deal for that time frame to celebrate that that time. Right. Um, but for, for Christmas, it was really important to celebrate Advent. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, so they would um, do a plum pudding and you would get your plum pudding ready, like starting in the beginning of Advent. Uh -huh. And you would stir it up. Um, they even had it was called stir up Sunday, where you would mix it up and then kind of put your pudding aside and let it, you know, settle and all the flavors um, kind of meld together. So that was really important. Every every Christmas dinner table had a plum pudding. Mm -hmm. uh, they would do turkey or goose for their their meal. It was often a multi course affair, different than today. Um, and again, they would have like the oysters and, um, also other types of fish might've been served, you uh -huh. know, not just the turkey and, or right. goose. Um, and of course desserts just like we do today, but, but the plum pudding was the highlight for sure. Do you um, think that it sounds like did, did the British have an influence like where people that came over because plum pudding, you mentioned stir up Sunday. I'm pretty sure they do something like that in the UK where it's syrup Sunday and plum pudding is a big part of their Christmas table. And also serving in courses is a European thing. It's not an American thing. So. Right. You're right on all counts. That's oh, okay. absolutely. And, and syrup Sunday, I think it really originated in the Anglican church uh -huh. kind of. And then when people, um, you know, came over to America and then it became the Episcopal church, but other, other churches, you know, would celebrate this stir up Sunday. It was, I think it was the fourth Sunday before Advent really is what mm -hmm. it, it means. And it was that, that Sunday in church, but then you would go home 
and the whole family would take part in stirring up the, the plum pudding. Pudding. Um, yeah. So it, and there are a lot of European influences, uh, British and German too. For 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 Christmas, a lot of German influences from the Christmas tree to a lot of the baked goods, the gingerbread and um you know all those things so yes. all the sweets that we really <laughs> like to have exactly so, yeah. exactly oh that's great and you do have <laughs> recipes in this book the gilded age cookbook i guess so because it's a cookbook yes so people yeah. can find out, um, get some recipes and try some things that you've updated right that were similar. yeah and and that's the the great the really great thing about it is that none of the all these recipes are very accessible, and uh -huh. I made sure of that. Uh -huh. that they are Gilded Age, you know, in in that they are authentic from that time frame. But I have updated them. I've done all that test work and made sure that you know the ingredients can be sourced today, and they're the right measurements and that sort of thing. And they really aren't difficult you know, there are a couple, like there's a rabbit recipe that um, my friend Adam Dilt, he's the chef at Elwood restaurant in Fishtown. He, uh -huh. he contributed that one. Um, and then there's a crown roast of lamb. That's a little more complicated, but for the most part, you know, you could make a lot of these, you know, that's, that's the point. I want people to, to be able to duplicate that and, and use their, their China that they have exactly. handed down from their heirloom, you know, from their grandparents or whoever, whatever, whatever you have on hand, you know, use it because oh. it's just sitting in your China cabinet, you know, gathering. Exactly. Dust, so. I think we're all guilty of that. Yes. But it's so nice to do like a special dinner and bring out the China, you know, um, which is good to do during, especially even during the holidays. So, all right, great, Becky. So where can people find this cookbook and your other cookbooks? Do you have a website? I do. So it's um, www.beckyldiamond.com. So that's Alice and Larry in the middle. Um, and my book is available at a lot of local bookstores. Um, he, from here in Bucks County in Philadelphia, I'm going to be doing a book signing at the Barnes and Noble there uh, December 9th. Um, you know, it's on Amazon, all, all the places you can think of that have books. Well, it should be available. So. Great. So, yeah, for those that are not in the Philadelphia area, you can find it on mm -hmm. Amazon, Barnes and Noble. That's great. Becky, thanks so much for being here and much success with uh, with the cookbook. Really, really interesting. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Maria Liberati Show. And thanks to my producer, Britton Roselle, and this week's special guest, Becky Diamond, the author of the Gilded Age Cookbook. And just a quick reminder, I will be doing a book signing and cooking class on Saturday, December 16th at... 11 a.m. at the Upper Southampton Library in Upper Southampton, Pennsylvania. So that's Saturday, December 16th at 11 a.m. at the Upper Southampton Library in Upper Southampton, Pennsylvania. And as always, you can find me at marialiberati.com. You can also find me on Facebook at Chef Maria Liberati, on Instagram at Maria Liberati, on Twitter at Maria Liberati, or I think it's called X now. So that's 
Marie Liberati and uh, on LinkedIn at M Liberati and on my Vimeo channel, Maria Liberati on the new YouTube channel for this podcast. It's the Maria Liberati show. So if you want to see video of any of the podcasts, you can go to the Maria Liberati show channel on YouTube and check us out. And also my Roku channel, the basic art of Italian cooking by Maria Liberati. And you can find my Gourmand World award-winning book series, the basic art of Italian cooking, holidays and special occasions, anywhere books are sold, but you can find them at amazon.com uh, and really anywhere books are sold online, but you can also find them at the publisher's website at artoflivingprimamedia.com. And until next time, peace, love, and pasta.